0: Let's pray together. Father, you are so good that your grace is so amazing that we can even come before you. Um, and it's just so true that we were lost and we, in you we are found. Lord, this morning I ask that you would be and your, your presence would be in this place, uh, working through each of us, speaking to each of us, drawing us nearer to you. You, the shepherd who goes out to find us. Lord, I ask that you would be working in each of us, drawing us nearer to you. And Lord, we just invite you in this place and we want to give you this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Oh, hey, I'm not Pastor Bob, I'm Dan, um, the Youth and Family Director, and Pastor Bob's on vacation, so he asked if I could give the message again, and uh, it's, it's fun, it's, it's a great opportunity to be deliv- delivering the message again. Um, it's fun for me, especially because I've definitely received a whole new uh, perspective on life um, recently. Oh, we're one slide too high. Have... Tom's ahead of me already. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> I'm a little slow here. Um, but yeah, we've received a whole new perspective on life because... Uh, our baby girl, Aria, is going to be three weeks old tomorrow. Uh, and we're not just adjusting, but uh, it's, it's a whole new way of life. Um, and uh, I'm having to learn a whole new set of tools. So if you're wondering what the tools up here are about, I'm going to talk about those in, in a minute. Um, I, I'm fairly handy. Uh, I, I can usually figure things out. Uh, but the, uh, just the other day, I was at a total loss. I was baffled by one of these new tools. I was baffled by a pack and play. (laughs) All the men, if you're wondering what this is, this is like a portable crib. Yeah, baffled. Sharice had set it up on the second floor. She asked if I could just fold it up and bring it down one morning. And I was like, all right, simple task, I thought. Uh, Baffled, totally at a loss. Uh, I had no clue what was going on uh, because of a pack and play. (laughs) So, what are all wives supposed to do when their husbands are lost? What are they supposed to say? Get directions. <laughs> so, I got the instruction manual, pulled it out Now, as Christians, we too have an instruction manual it 's a manual for life the bible that 's our instruction manual it 's our set of tools and it 's not just for when something goes wrong but it 's for everyday life. It tells us how to get the most out of life, how to live godly lives the more time you spend in it the more time the more you come to know its principles the more they become second nature I and mean, this is really important because consider how did jesus defeat satan's temptation scripture believed memorized practiced scripture is what equips us for life so the question is are you equipping yourselves because if its knowledge and its wisdom are ready at your side the work's easier now, I've got a lot of tools. Um, most of my tools live in my basement. Um, not a mess, they're actually pretty well organized. If you know Arnhem, they're not as well organized as his tools, but they're organized, they're labeled. Um, the only problem is most of my work projects don't happen in my basement. Um, so I have to take the tools to where I need to go. I just did a huge project on the stairs going up to my second floor, and much thanks goes to my dad and my friend Keith Tracy. Um, I took our stairs from this, oops, I'm going too fast, this here to rip apart the and then finally the finished product. Not bad, huh? <laughs> so since the work goal wasn't in the basement, I needed this, a toolbox. So, actually, it's pretty heavy. Uh, When I'm doing a job, I fill it with the tools I need to use most regularly. Actually, funny story. Keith will get a kick out of this. I brought this in on Friday, and Keith was in the office. And boy, did his eyes go wide when he saw it. (laughs) He remembers this bag, and I think he was like, oh, no, what's next? I assured him it was for for this morning. No work. (laughs) But my tools don't just do the work themselves. I need to have them handy, and I need to know how to use them. If the Bible is our manual for life, if it's our our set of tools, we can't just have it nicely labeled up on a shelf. We need to be digging into it, pulling the tools out, taking them to where the work needs to be done. Context is how we learn to use our tools. In knowing, understanding, and using Scripture, context is key context is one of those great words that means exactly what it says. Context with the text. Great. All right, so this morning we're going to be digging into Luke 15. Our text covers the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Its context are the parables in the gospel at large. Jesus' parables always have characters or figures. And and parables really are just analogies used for teaching. Just like my toolbox. An analogy used for teaching. In any parable, you always need to ask what equals what? Who equals who? In order to figure out what's the parable talking about? What's the the teaching that's going on? So, let's jump into our text. Verses 1 through 2 set up the context for us. Now... The tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right off the bat, we see who our audience is. Sinners and tax collectors. But also Pharisees and teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're not there because they actually want to learn from Jesus. They're there because they're looking for a way to accuse him. Believe it or not, there's actually a lot that's going on in these two verses verses right away. So first off, did you notice anything interesting about the word sinners? Yeah, it's in quotes. What's that about? Because, I mean, Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we're all sinners, why are these guys singled out and labeled? Well, it's because Luke wants us to know how the Pharisees thought about them and how the Pharisees thought about anybody that wasn't themselves. Inferior, subpar, certainly not holy like they were. You might have also thought this, why are tax collectors lumped in there? I mean, let's be honest, I don't think anybody loves paying taxes, but really, why are we lumping those guys in? Well, this takes some tools, using our tools to dig in. It takes a little bit of detective work. So who's the governing authority at this time? Rome. So who would be the taxes, who are the taxes taxes collected for? Rome. Right, if your country was taken over by another, and this guy over here was collecting taxes for him, what is he? A traitor. Not only that, but the way tax collectors collected money was, let's say if Rome wanted five pieces of silver per month, the way a tax collector would make his income would be through upcharging he was allowed to say Rome wants six pieces of silver per month, and that one extra of them would be his income. Now, our tax collectors were not only kind of inscrupulous fellows, but they also often were greedy, and so they might say Rome wants ten pieces of silver. Oh, and by the way, if you don't pay up, um, you'll be getting a visit from the local centurion. He's going to come beating on your door, and you know, he might have a stick of fire in his hand, and Should that, you know, slip if you don't happen to pay? You know, I'm just giving you a heads up. So, to be fair, this audience here was probably a group of people making poor life choices. These are social outcasts. But this is the group that has gathered to hear Jesus. And that's important. That's key to these parables. The Pharisees, the group that's dedicated to the purity of the commandments, And the teachers of the law, those who are supposed to be teaching the people about God, well, they're just muttering about Jesus because they can't believe he's spending time with these outcasts. They accuse him of welcoming and even eating with them. This is as big as a scandal as they can imagine. And this is the big deal to them because to them, a man is known by the company he keeps. And so they always make sure they're around great people. I mean, his character, his reputation hinge on it. So clearly, Jesus must be a very shady guy, a very shady figure. Who is this Jesus guy? And with this knowledge, Jesus begins to teach them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Look at what Jesus does. He starts by saying, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. One of you. He invites them into his story. He invites them into the story. He draws them in. By showing them how much the shepherd would rejoice in finding a lost sheep, they're then able to see how much the father rejoices when a sinner repents and turns back to God. Jesus then continues. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing. I went too far there we go or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one does she not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents the shepherd could have said let it go Ah, I've got 99 others. The woman could have said, You know what? It's only one. I've got nine more. We see the main character in these parables representing the father not giving up, not being satisfied, searching until he finds what was lost, until it is found. And then how does he react when what was lost is found? He rejoices. Not only does he rejoice, but what does he do specifically in these parables? He calls others to rejoice with him. Now think about that: This is both an invitation and a command. Rejoice with me. What was lost has been found. Jesus could have left it there, uh, but he really wants us to get this concept uh, just like he really wanted the social outcasts and their hypocritical religious, religious leaders to get it. And so he goes on and he tells the amazing parable of the lost son, often known as the prodigal son. Like all parables, we have characters that need to be figured out. We've got the father, who, like in all parables, represents God, Jesus. Jesus. We've got the prodigal son, that individual who walks away from God, but in the end repents. And then we've got the brother who, like the Pharisees, is incapable of forgiveness. So let's jump into our text. Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, put the best, get the best robe. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf "'because he has him back, safe and sound.' The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, "'Look,' Now, the first thing that stands out to me in these parables, um, in this parable, is the disrespect of the prodigal son. He tells his father, give me my share of the inheritance. As the younger son, his share would have been one third of his father's estate. Now, getting one's inheritance early actually wasn't totally unheard of at that time. I mean, if the father wanted to retire, if he wanted to you know, be done with working or farming, he most certainly could give out his inheritance early. But it would be at the father's initiative because the father decided to. By insisting on receiving his inheritance now really amounts to this son saying, Father, you are dead to me. Or worse, I wish you were dead. Now, I remember mouthing off pretty good uh, with my dad once in high school, and um, I fully deserved what I had coming to me. Uh, My my cheeks still sting a little bit, thinking about that fun memory. Um, But instead of backhanding the boy, the father does the first of many things odd things. This is significant. He says, okay. He divides the property and he lets the son of his leave. Here Jesus is showing us God's character. God won't force us to stay. He won't guilt us or punish us into doing what he wants. Like the rich young man of Matthew 19 the Father lets him walk away. So, where does he go? Distant country, as far as he can get. He begins his dream life, a life without accountability. So, he always wanted, most importantly, no more Jewish rules or laws telling him what he can and can't do. Just live in the dream. Didn't go quite as planned, did it? No. Because in his wild living, what does he do? He squanders everything. Remember, everything was one-third of his father's estate. One-third of his father's estate that was able not only to sustain a family, but to employ multiple servants. Squandered it. And that's where we get the term prodigal, which means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Lavish. Not only has he wasted everything, but then times get tough. A severe famine hits the land. And I believe God works through coincidences and that here Jesus is showing us more of God's character. And we saw that God won't force someone to stay or to love him, but he may place or allow a challenge in the life of an individual who's walking away to get their attention bring them back to him remember the prophet jonah what did god do when he was on the run (laughs) he stepped in now i want to say this to be fair this isn't a blanket statement for all difficulties Um, if you're in the midst of a difficult time uh, it doesn't imply that you're far from god Uh, in, in fact jesus promises difficulties multiple times to those who are serving him best so I think it's safe to say whether one is walking away from God or has an outstanding relationship with him difficulty can bring us near to God and should be considered good just as James told us consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything well for our prodigal times get real tough He doesn't just have to start working again. He has to hire himself out. Talking servitude. But Still, pride has the best of him. He lowers himself to a despicable level, feeding pigs. So bad that he even longs to eat pig food. Now, I've been to a few hog farms in my life, um, and they all have one thing in common. So I'm not sure if you've been to a hog farm or if you know what I'm talking about. They stink. They stink bad. I mean, you like get out of your car and you're, oh my word! Like your first thought is like, holy cow! And then you walk up to the barn and you're like, I didn't think it could get any worse. Oh my word! And then you go in the barn and it is a pungency like you've never experienced before. God bless pig farmers. But for our prodigal, it doesn't just stink. It is deplorable. Why? Well, remember who Jesus' audience is. Jews. In Jewish culture, pigs were absolutely vile. And pig flesh was like the greatest sin against all of kosher law. Working with excrement would have been less degrading. Here is poetic irony at its best. As one scholar put it, Behold, the sun sank into a swineherd. He who begins by using the world as a servant to minister to his needs ends by reversing the relationship and becomes servant to the world. Apart from a relationship with the Lord, God will allow us to hit rock bottom. And sometimes... That is what it takes. I, I think many of us find ourselves on our knees in humbleness a lot sooner, but it is truly on our knees in humbleness that we need to come to Christ. While pride exists, there's still lower that one can fall. So at the bottom, our prodigal finally comes to his senses. I love that term. What a fun term. Come to your senses. Let's um, think about this. Have you ever had dead leg or worse, dead arm? Uh, I sleep funny. I wake up a lot. And so when I can't sleep, my best bet is to roll on my stomach, put my arms under my pillow and hope I can fall asleep again. Usually then if I fall asleep somehow I'll roll onto my back. But sometimes I don't roll onto my back once I'm sleeping. And that's when I get Dead arm. Do you ever get that? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time it happened. I was in high school, middle of the night. I wake up, I go to roll over, and my arm won't go with me. I'm like, what's going on? And that is when I learned the yank and flip. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> if you fall asleep again, all's great. But if you don't fall asleep again, you're in for that fun experience of getting feeling again in your dead arm. Uh, What was numb will slowly but intensely start to feel again and to come alive. It comes to its senses. So our prodigal comes to his senses and he repents. Uh, Before, when he was steeped in selfishness, all he could see was how bad he had it at home, how he had to get out of there. Now he looks and he realizes how good even the servants of his father are treated, and he even longs for that life. He humbles himself inwardly, and in his heart he finds his needs. His first confession is to God, confessing his sin against both God and his father. He returns with no expectation of sonship, but just to be as a servant better to be a servant in his father's house than a beggar in the world. So he returns. And the father's unusual behavior continues. Like the woman with her coin and the shepherd with his sheep. We see the father looking for the return of his son. Searching. The father could have held a grudge. He could have returned the favor and said, boy, you're dead to me. But he doesn't. He sees him and he has compassion. And in his compassion, he does something unheard of. He runs. Even to this day, in Middle Middle Eastern culture, patriarchal men do not run. It would not be fitting. In fact, it would be degrading. Yet, This father humbles himself to receive his son. Jesus is pointing us to the cross where he would humble himself on the cross to receive us. Oh, this is not the end of the father's odd behavior. The father threw his arms around the son and kissed him. Not only were these actions also not considered fitting for a patriarch of that culture, But we can't miss that the son, with no money for his return journey, was probably still in the same filthy rags he had on in the pigsty. And what did the father do? Make him clean up before he could enter his presence? No. He embraces him in full love and compassion just as he is, simply for returning Son starts his confession. He'd already confessed to God. Now he begins to confess to his father. He repents outwardly. His heart is demonstrated through his actions. As the father say, it have got a deal. I'll make you one of the servants." No. The son didn't even get to finish his speech. He didn't even get to that part of it. The father says, "Here's an even better deal," and he gives him unique items that have meaning. The robe, the ring, and the sandals. The robe. A robe would have only been worn by a man of honor. The ring. More than just precious metal, this would have been a signet ring representing the father's wealth used like a debit card in that society. And the sandals. Only a free man, not a slave, would wear shoes. Not a servant. Only a free man would wear shoes. Jesus is showing us the depth of our heavenly Father's love. He reclothes him with the robe from his filth and degradation to honor. He redeems him with the ring from his poverty to his Father's riches. And he restores him with the sandals. From a slavery and servitude to a life of freedom. And if all that wasn't enough, the father goes further yet. I mean, are you starting to see the depth of love of the, our heavenly father and what he has in store for those who return to him? In fact, my favorite professor said, while this, while this parable is traditionally called the prodigal son, it could be called the prodigal father. Because of his extravagant love, his wild compassion, his lavish forgiveness. I think this is best demonstrated by the father's last two outpourings of his embrace. The father throws a party and kills the fattened calf. The fattened calf was more than just a delicacy because in first century Palestine, they didn't eat a lot of meat, so the, the fattened calf would have been fattened for a specific, special occasion. And this makes me wonder, was he fattening the calf, you know, fattening calves just for this reason in hope of this occasion? I, and we know we know this is a teaching parable, not a true story, um, but I love the idea of, Of the prodigal father, fattening calf after calf, recklessly wasteful with his resources as he awaited the return of his son. If the parable ended here, it would be beautiful and complete. But remember, Jesus' audience also included the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And while part one was important for them to hear, part two was even more so the brother hears the party and wonders what's wondering what's going on and when he finds out he's not only ticked but he pouts and what does our prodigal father do he remains constant in his love he goes out he looks for him to bring him back in and the brother's not on board he's even disrespectful he starts off with saying to his father, look, all these years... Now, I don't know if you watch a lot of news, but especially like the pundits and the commentators, there's one thing they definitely have in common. They always start off going, now look, here's the story. And then the next guy will chime in, not look, here's what's really going on. I, I hate that term because it's it's so like condescending, look. You know, it's so pejorative. There's so much like wrapped up in there. And that is how... This son speaks to his.